This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and an author, and my latest book is Find Your Happy at Work. Our return guest today is Joan Lynch, a prize-winning TV and film executive. Joan is the chief content officer at Working Nation. That's a wonderful nonprofit media company that brings attention to a broad range of issues that impact the workforce. Today, Jones will talk about some of the latest developments that are helping to shape the American employment picture. She'll describe ways that the Infrastructure Act could produce a wave of new jobs. She'll talk about how the need for skilled workers may translate into new opportunities for people who've been marginalized in the past. She'll focus on trends impacting women in the workforce. And Joan will touch upon other hot topics that could bring opportunities for you in the rapidly changing job market. Joan, it is great to have you back with us. You always have all the latest news, and it makes me feel so up to date. But before we dig into all that, I, I wanted uh, to ask you to tell us a little bit about Working Nation and what you're doing lately. I, I was looking at your website, and I was blown away by all of the good information you have. You're, so much is going on. Would you just start by telling us a little bit of about Working Nation and the kind of coverage uh, you're producing and where people can find it? Sure. Um, and th- thanks for having me. Working Nation uh, was uh, launched about eight years ago, and it was designed as a journalism and film company to tell stories about the future of work and really to highlight solutions that are out there um, to give everybody equal opportunity to get into the jobs that are open and to get the skills that they need for those jobs, because there's a real lack of information out there for people that are looking for opportunity. So we develop and produce our own content and journalism that's available on the website and on our social media and through some strategic content partners. So you'll find articles, films, podcasts, um, some digital magazines, and even some original data and polls on our website. But we also have, um, have done strategic partnerships with our content. So it's been released on CNN and Fortune, Forbes, LinkedIn, and others. So we're a media company and we're a collaborating partner with some big conferences around the country, but I'm pretty amazed how much content our team manages to, uh, to create. And I think it's really important because Americans really don't care about BLS numbers or think that it represents what they're seeing in their communities. It can be really boring Um, And I think oftentimes it can be a little bit lazy in the approach to telling the story because there isn't a lot of effort sort of put in, put, put into explaining what's really going on and what, what opportunities are there. So that's why I love coming on your podcast. We can dig in. Well, you always know what's happening and I really love being able to, to go to work nation when I'm trying to think about trends or what should we be talking about? I go and look and say, well, that's what they're talking about. That must be important. So, um, (laughs) Thanks for being with us today. I I think one of the first things I want to dig into or ask you to dig into is 
the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Everybody's hearing about the infrastructure stuff, but what I want to know is the jobs part. What are we going to see in the workplace and the workforce um, out of that huge $800 billion act? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. And it is the question, uh, the workforce portion of it. So, you know, the reality is that the dollars that are directed at these, um, these infrastructure issues around the country will, will be wasted if we don't have the trained workers to actually do the work. And that, you know, obviously is an issue across lots of different areas within our country, but specifically with regard to infrastructure, uh, we have a lot of opportunity. Um, we don't have as diverse a workforce, and we have a lot of people within that, within that current workforce that are aging out. So it really is going to come down to like the state and local leaders, as well as employers, collaborating um, and creating or implementing programs that can move people into these careers quickly. There's a huge demand uh, for people in all areas of, of infrastructure projects around the country. So getting these education programs in place, getting more you know, high school students and people that might be out of work or looking for a new opportunity is key. So there's programs around the country that are starting earlier. Delaware has an amazing pathways program that takes high school students for their four years and, and gives them a lot of job training. We, we know about great, fantastic apprenticeship programs that have been around for a while that are getting folks into careers, but we need more of them because there's millions of workers um, of all ages and of all skill levels that are looking for jobs. So there's so many opportunities from you know construction to operations to management. There's a variety of opportunities, and it really will be an opportunity for people of every education level, which is also very exciting. And these are tend to be well-paying jobs um, and jobs that you don't necessarily need a, a degree for. Well, there, there are lots of exciting possibilities out there. It sounds like they're going to vary from place to place because the states and localities and um corporate partners and all kinds of people are going to have to to get involved. If somebody's interested, um, is there kind of an obvious starting point to find out what's happening um, in your own community? I, I don't think there is um, in a lot of places, which is why I love your website. But how, how would somebody begin to look for some of these things? Yeah, I mean, there are workforce development boards in each state. Um, there are um, training opportunities. I, I, will, I will agree with you that this information is not readily available, which is why Working Nation exists, really, um, is that there isn't enough information out there for employers or, uh, or that employers are putting out there. And so employees or potential employees, parents looking for opportunities for their kids, and even people in positions where they're giving career counseling regionally, which is you and I have talked about, it's different when you have a conversation in Nebraska than when you're having a conversation in New York City. So the access to this information is not as readily available. It's one of the, the problems that we're trying to rectify. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a real challenge. And, and that's why the storytelling that we do is really key um, because each of the opportunities in the different states look a little bit different. Um, so our storytelling last year was around green jobs and a lot of them had to do with um, infrastructure jobs and 
And, you know, we went state by state and said, what are the opportunities in Mississippi versus Louisiana versus Indiana? Um, and so we've tried to use that as, as a pathway to get people the information that they need. Well, I think you're meet, meeting a huge need, but generally speaking for people, it's just like any other job search, maybe, that you start by networking and reading and looking everywhere, and you don't assume there's some kind of linear path. It's just maybe folks need to know that there are new kinds of opportunities out there. And wherever you are, start there, ask around, read around, um, because there are changes out there. And some of them are so in such early stages, it's not always easy to, to spot them. But one of the things that I think might be happening um, out of all of this is that we're going to end up with a more diverse, skilled workforce. I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about that. Are, are you optimistic that part of what the act leaves behind is a more diverse workforce with opportunities for a wider range of people? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the key here is the recruiting, the recruiting of new talent. And if it's done well, it's going to provide millions and millions of great opportunities for workers at every education level. But yes, um, in terms of gender, ethnicity, race, and we know that traditionally minorities and women are underrepresented in this field. And there is being work to, to rectify that. And it does come down to awareness. Um, and, and that's why we tell stories about groups that are creating um, programs. There's a fantastic one in Washington, D.C. that we've highlighted called the D.C. Infrastructure Academy, which specifically went into low income communities um, and is working to create the training and education necessary to get these folks into jobs. But one of the things that we at Working Nation say is absolutely imperative is the collaboration between education and employment. So the local employers, in this case, DC Water and Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, they're working directly with DC Infrastructure Academy to create the curriculum and to identify certifications that are necessary. So you know, again, as we as we said, this happens at every education level. There are great jobs where you just need um, the certification. And, you know, we're talking about an area where half of infrastructure workers currently have a high school diploma or less. So you do not need a degree to move into these opportunities. You just need to find um, find these programs. And a lot of them, just like what's happening across, you know, our country in terms of workforce in general, there, there is more awareness in terms of diversity, in terms of the need to have a diverse workforce, what that brings, not just for business, but for the culture of a workforce, for the understanding of your community and, and you know, finding solutions in business, um, diversity of thought, as well as everything else. So this is absolutely important. And I think it's great that you said you're optimistic. I'm optimistic. This is, this is one of the bigger opportunities that we have. The money is there. And as long as the employers who need the workers um, are open and collaborating with the folks that want to move their community and people in their community into these jobs, I think we're going to see uh, some, some great advancement in terms of diversity in the workforce in this particular spot. Well, it is exciting. Um, let's, let's talk about a, a few of the categories. You mentioned a bit ago that one of the issues that's out there is that in some places, the workforce is aging out, like utilities, mm -hmm. uh, 
people are reaching retirement and are choosing to retire. On the other hand, um, there are lots of people out there who want to work or need to work longer than they might originally have planned. And older workers have been a group that sometimes have found it very difficult to move into new kind of fields. Do you think there are going to be opportunities for older workers to retrain and find different kinds of jobs in the future? Absolutely. I absolutely. This is a great opportunity for that, for that group as well, as, as you're saying, and, you know, the number of workers, um, of older workers is growing at a rate that outpaces the overall growth of our labor force. So, you know, one to two thirds of our workers, they risk not having enough money to retire with their current standard of living. So they are staying in the workforce longer. But one of the things that we found is that although hiring older workers can help companies with staffing shortages, less than 10% of employers actually include age as a factor when they consider recruitment and retention strategies. Um, And on top of that, less than 5% consider age in terms of their overall workforce diversity initiatives. So it, you know, this is a group of people that, you know, it falls under one of the terms that we use a lot, which is an untapped talent pool. And historically, and as technology has advanced, I think a lot of people have have just assumed that as you get older, you're not um, as aware of technology or as comfortable with it. And I, you know, I find that to be a bit insulting. Um, and yes. sometimes, you know, when we're talking to people that are a little bit older and they're concerned, you know, we'll talk to nurses who talk about the advancements in medicine. And we, we say, you know, were you using an iPad 10 years ago? No, but they do now. And, and people are able to learn technology. They're able to learn new trends within, within their field. It really comes down to the employer wanting to um, retain their employees and retrain them uh, in a lot of cases. And then in terms of the infrastructure and these additional jobs for employ- possible or potential employers to look at this workforce and, and to do what we are encouraging across the board in every field, to look at these people and talk about the skills that they already have, and then what skills do they need that perhaps they can help them to, um, to be a little bit better about or to gain. So, you know, it's, it, there's, some, there's an opportunity index that the Schultz Family Foundation and Harvard Business um, and Burning Glass Institute have worked on, which isn't specifically about the infrastructure bill, but it really talks about identifying the companies that are best at figuring out how to either retrain or to attract um, employees and give them the training that they need to not only get a job in their organization, but to, ex- to excel and to be prepared to move to the next position without that organization. Because again, we also know that turnover in companies is extremely expensive. So, you know, really, really digging into this retraining and the focus by employers and then the partnership with training entities is going to be key to solving this issue across the board. It makes so much sense to approach it like that, that this is an incredible opportunity to do two good things at once, help people who need the job or want the job find one and find, like you say, an untapped source of, of workers. It's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, another huge category um, that I want to ask you about is women in the workforce. We know that women really took a hit Uh, a career hit during the pandemic. How do you see opportunities um, 
for women emerging? Are they coming back to the workforce? Are are there is, other issues like childcare that are making it more difficult? What's happening? Sure. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the what's what's sad is that, you know, I think most people know that workforce participation um, was growing very rapidly in, um, after World War II. And, you know, it was set to outpace male workforce participation. And then we hit 2000. And in, in the year 2000, it started to slow down and then it reversed. So it started to go down. And this um, this data is is the case no matter what race, ethnicity, um, educational background, age, marital status, or really whether or not they had children. This is women in general. So the numbers had been dropping and then they just fell off a cliff in 2020 based on the pandemic. So yes, childcare is an issue and, and I want to talk about that, but also the data showed that women were were adversely affected because they were more likely to be employed in fields that were vulnerable to layoffs in times of economic change or in this case, shutdowns. So spaces like hospitality and food services and retail. And the other one is that women are more likely to work in education and healthcare. And during the pandemic, as we saw, and as we understand now, there were high levels of burnout and caused a lot of women to leave their jobs. So we have that as in general in terms of women. But then you come back to this trend that you're talking about with working moms and how hard they were hit. And they left the workforce at record levels. And we know that the number one reason for that is childcare. So, um, you know, going home and taking care of their kids, not just small kids, we think of childcare as small kids, but you also have your middle and high school age kids coming home because they, the school shut down. So you have to be there while they're, while they're doing school from home. So those millions of women have not returned to the workforce. And that has dire consequences for our economy because we need these women. But I also think from a social perspective, um, it's incredibly important to figure out what happened in 2000 to bring bring these numbers down and what do we have to do to get to get these women back into the workforce. Um, and there's other levels of it in terms of the, the cost of childcare, you know, and the, they've said 16,000 childcare facilities closed in the last two years. So there's less options for them and the, those that are remaining can charge more for it. And when you're talking about an average salary of women in the U.S. around forty-eight thousand, and in some places the annual cost of childcare is forty thousand, it doesn't exactly incentivize wow. women to go back yeah. to work. Well, it's um, feels like one of those things that's going to have to be sort of divided into pieces. It's too big to make generalizations and right. we work on things like flexibility and childcare in certain locations. And uh, it's um, certainly there's a lot of awareness now about the importance of women in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm also just generally kind of, very, I'm generally very careful also never to dismiss the number of men that stayed home to take care of their families as well. Yes. So it, we are talking about women, but I never want to, make it sound like we don't respect the men that have had to make those decisions as well. Absolutely. When there are good programs about the needs of parents, um, it impacts, uh, if it's done right, it impacts all kinds of categories. It impacts people who are taking care of their um, other family members who may be right. disabled. It, it, it covers everybody. You can't just make them this little woman's program. So we really That's are right. talking about anybody who has um, special 
requirements or needs in their home and and still want to work. And that means flexibility and so forth. Well, uh, related to that kind of is, I think, another category of um, people who might be impacted. And, And this feels like good news. It feels like that people with disabilities who may have been totally marginalized in the past are suddenly being looked at by some employers as another untapped source of talent. Is Am I overly optimistic or do you see that happening? You are not overly optimistic, I'm thrilled to say. Um, this is a shift that is happening in our country that is um, we've really long needed. So we dedicated the month of October, which is National Disabilities Employment Awareness Month, to talking about this topic and, and we're going to do it again this year. Um, but there was a time in our country, as, as you're referencing, we were not uh, tracking the, the disabled as a group within diversity and inclusion, and we weren't hiring them and we weren't recognizing their skills. And there's great companies, Google, Walmart, others that are, are leading the charge in, in some of that. So in terms of um, raising awareness of it, one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we're tracking and we're making sure that employers are as committed to seeing the disabled community within their um, diverse workforce. So so what we know in the country, we have 10 million open jobs, we have workforce participation dropping um, to about 62% and a lack of skilled workers for the opportunities that are open. So since the businesses are feeling it and there's a lack of people with the right jobs, this is a perfect opportunity for companies to start recognizing people with talent. There's also new technology that make certain um, disabilities or people with disabilities uh, better able to do jobs that perhaps in the past we assumed that they could not. So it is a great example of an area where there has been advancement. Um, it, you know, we we talk about the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is twice as high as a person without a disability. Um, also, it's one of the only groups um, in the country, in the world, Uh, that you can join at any point. So everyone should be aware of this because at any point, many of the people that we've interviewed did not have a disability and then something happened um, that perhaps they went blind or they lost their hearing or a limb um, that changed basically how they could do work or what work we assume they could do. So, you know, we we looked at the, the disabled community broadly but one of the fun things we get to do is we get to dig then deeper into the topic. and, And in one example, we loved looking at the data in terms of um, the neurodiverse community specifically. And what you see if you look at that group is jaw-dropping statistics. I mean, we're talking about a group that has 81% of um, their population don't have a paid job. So when you start to talk about unemployment numbers and you say 81% do not have a paid job, does that mean they don't have the skills? No. It means in a lot of cases they do, but we don't know how to identify them. And we're talking from neurodiverse in terms of high functioning. And I'll give you an example of that all the way down to, you know, we've seen in the Walmarts or the or um, McDonald's or other places where they're able to hire people that can do these jobs. They can absolutely do these jobs in Excel. It's just getting the employers to, to really look and to recognize what do I need? And oftentimes these are incredibly loyal. The data shows you that incredibly loyal group of people that just want to work and they want, you know, they, they want to do well and they tend to stay longer in jobs, which is really important. And one of the biggest factors we know, as we've said, in terms of what companies want to hire. So 
you know, they, they, ENY, for example, in terms of the neurodiverse, they um, they set up a program, and they brought in um, people to basically take a look at the, some of the neurodiverse talent that they were not hiring, and instead of eliminating them because of perhaps the lack of social skills, they started giving them a week-long training on teamwork and collaboration and communication and bringing their other employees in to start to see what it looks like to work with these people. And their investment paid off. I mean, they have incredible people working. They've told us that the neurodiverse folks they have working with them actually need less time in technical training. And um, and they're doing incredible work in cyber and robotics and analytics. So, you know, we like to raise the awareness of those types of companies because what ENY is doing can be used by many other businesses. They've put it out there. This, this is what we're doing and this is what works for us, but any company can use this. So we love to sell stories where other companies can replicate and it's not starting over from scratch. Well, it's exciting, but I now I have a really basic question. I, I think sure. some people may not even be aware of the phrase neurodiverse. It's very common, but it's common. It, it has become common kind of suddenly, tell us what, uh, who might be included in the category of um, neurodiverse people who might have some new opportunities now. Sure. You know, we as a nation are becoming more comfortable with self-identification. And, you know, if you look on, if you go on LinkedIn and you, and you do a drop down or you try to apply for a job, it doesn't, in often cases, include neurodiverse um, and it breaks it down into categories. So you, you're talking about people with autism. Um, you're talking about people with ADD or dyslexia. There's multiple areas in terms of neurodiverse, but it just basically is your brain is processing in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've heard amazing stories about people that have come in for jobs and they, they don't have the social skills. Um, they don't make eye contact. We've talked about other ones where they are nonverbal at all. But then you find out that they are incredibly creative and developing their own apps. Um, And so um, it really is just about how we process. And I'm also pretty optimistic and and bullish on the fact that now people are becoming more comfortable saying to their employer, hey, I just process information differently, but that is actually a skill in some ways. I bring something different to this team. I think differently. And that's what we're hearing from employers that we've interviewed about this is they say they had no idea. In one case, actually, separate from neurodiverse, there was a, um, a bank, TD Bank, that, that um, really went after um, and was hiring the deaf community. And hiring the deaf community, they were bringing in people to translate. And in one case, they brought in a translator who translated for a, t- a team member. And it was the first time that had a translator and the team member started responding. And the rest of the team who had worked with her for years realized this woman's hilarious. And she had a lot of ideas of how they could, they could fix their organization or their, their particular team, which they went on to implement. And that all changed because they just brought in a different way to communicate with somebody that was already on their team and was doing her job. But they recognized when they did that, that they could raise they, they could raise the output of their team. They're now, you know, more friendly and collaborative and communicative and all of that stuff, um, which also part of what we, we focused on in, in October and will again this year is getting, you know, the non-disabled community to understand what it's like to work with someone that has a disability. And in the case of neurodiverse 
um, neurodiverse individuals, that can be, uh, you know, a little bit scary in some cases. But the folks that we've talked to that have learned to work with their colleagues um, that have some of these issues, it's unbelievable. The smiles that I get from people talking about, you know, we're getting, we're, we're more of a team. I, I feel good about this. I, I really like working with my teammate. I like coming to work. I mean, these are, these are not small things when we're trying to build businesses and build morale within businesses. So it's a, it's a topic that we love talking about. Yeah. And I I think for years, people, you know, thought of diversity kind of narrowly, which is weird because by definition, if you're thinking about diversity, you should be looking at the big picture. But um, now, I think the interest in diversity, there's kind of a new wave of interest, and it's coming from the fact that the more different kinds of ways of looking at things, the different kinds of experiences, the more creative any group, any organization is likely to be, right? There, people Absolutely. are coming up with new solutions and new questions that need solutions. And so there's real Im- impact from um creating greater diversity in any kind of workforce. And it looks to me that employers are now getting enthusiastic in a way that they weren't, say, even five years ago. Is that Yes. Does that feel right to you? It does. It does. And we went to a conference um, called Diversity Inn down in Dallas last summer to do some interviews. And we had a new Working Nation employee with us. She had just started a week before. And she was getting up to speed on what we do and the topic of jobs. And as we walked away, you know, I asked the question I always ask, you know, what did you learn? What, you know, what's your takeaway here? And this is a young woman um, that, again, had just started. And she said, I am so excited. I had no idea so many businesses were so fired up about expanding their workforce to include people that they might not have considered before. Uh, it, the, the work that is being done out there um, by the thought leaders and the educators and the um, business leaders, you know, obviously there's some that are falling behind. We know that, but what we focus on in Working Nation is the work and these people doing incredible things because we can't not do it. That's the other thing. We are in a situation with our economy in order to, in order to sustain it, let alone grow it, where we have all of these open jobs. We have you know, 10 million open jobs, but what, 5 million people that say that they're looking for a job. Yeah. You know, the numbers just don't add up and we have to expand that pool. And in order to expand that pool, we also have to expand how we give people, as we said, the access to the information and the access to the training to get the skills to get into these jobs. So it's a very, I tend to be like you optimistic. It's a very exciting time for our younger people that are coming up, if they want to take hold of something, there is great opportunities in all different fields. I mean, we talked about the infrastructure bill. That is not just welders and, and electricians. That goes all the way down to if you're building a business and, and the supply chains for those businesses. You know, we are talking about accountants and analytics and, you know, salespeople. There are millions and millions of jobs that are being created. Um, it's just about getting you know, getting people inspired and believing that they can do it. And I think the way to do that is through storytelling. And when people see someone that's doing it, they can be inspired to to do it themselves. Well, this is a fabulous way, I think, to end a podcast because 
there have been times when we couldn't feel so optimistic. But if we have listeners out there who are thinking about making a shift, if we have employers out there who are trying to figure out if they're they can find some way to hire people. The answer is yes, the things are happening. Do you have any uh, last words out there for our listeners who may be wondering if there are opportunities for themselves out there? No, I, I appreciate you, you know, directing them to our website. And, and, and I think it's just about letting people know if it's, you know, from sports to music to film to analytics to cyber, they're whatever people's interests are and whatever their skills are, and all of our skills are a little bit different, um, there are ways to, to find opportunity where you can find a purpose, which is also very important to us at Working Nation, to find a purpose um, in the job that you do and for you to have a career and excel in it, not just a job. We want, you, we want people to have careers, long careers, and continue to be able to support their families, life-sustaining careers. So there are opportunities. So I just encourage people to look around um, and, and use us as a resource. Well, thank you, Joan, so much for joining us again. And thank you for uh, bringing us up to date. There really are wonderful possibilities out in the workplace these days. And um, thanks for being there to tell us about it. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Today we've been talking with media executive Joan Lynch about the state of the American workforce. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. And our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. Today's tip is that the demand for skilled workers is leading to new opportunities for people who want to shift jobs. The starting point can be the emerging training programs out there, including courses made available by employers and not just by traditional schools. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work, and please come back soon. Thank you.